Hey family, this is Elder Topaz and I want to welcome you to the Mirrors and Microscopes broadcast. This is always a reflective journey in how we do leadership and how we do life in the kingdom of God. I pray that this broadcast finds you doing well and blessed and favored even in the midst of these challenging and unusual times. Now, I want to, first of all, thank you guys so much for uh, your birthday wishes. Everyone that wished me a happy birthday, if you sent me a text, if you called me, if you uh, blessed me with a gift, uh, some people sent me some special deliveries and monetary blessings. I want to thank you so much. It truly blessed my soul. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you and I appreciate you. And you made my birthday very special. Now, this evening, we're going to continue to dive into our new series, Kryptonite, Disarming the Power of Distractions. And I pray that this series has been a blessing to you so far. But I truly believe that uh, we're going to be even more blessed by the things that God is going to download with this series. So in our prior broadcast, we've been exploring what distractions are. And we've also discussed the three major reasons and areas distractions come to affect um, as highlighted in 1 John 2, 16 through 20. Now, through the enemy's intentional plots, plans, traps, and snares, and we know that they are intentional and they're there to get us off course. And these tactics ultimately set out to do three things. And we've talked about this before. It sets out to distract you from your identity and who God has called you to be, even to the degree of character assassination. Number two, they come to impede or hinder your progress or to force you to speed up the process. And then the third thing they come to do is to present you with something that is counterfeit, something that is fraudulent, something that is erroneous or a fallacy. And at first it looks like it's legitimate. It looks like it's credible. But as you go a little deeper into that thing, you'll see that it's nothing like what God said it was supposed to be. It's nothing like what God wants you to have. It's fraudulent. It's counterfeit. It's not real. And so we also established the fact that distractions are a form of spiritual warfare against your mind, against your mental state, against your capacity that strategically attacks your mind and your cognitive ability to think rationally. And if it has your mind, it controls you. So these things are so strategic. They come at the moments when you're at a place of deliverance. It comes to the moment when you're about to get your breakthrough. It comes in the moment where you're getting your healing. These distractions are very strategic. They don't come out of nowhere. They're lying in wait to attack you and to distract you at precise moments. So for this session, we're going to go and deep dive into the very first distraction and attempt of what I call identity theft in the Bible with Adam and Eve. And we're going to assess how one encounter 
from the enemy. One distraction affected those three areas that we just talked about that affected those three areas that we just highlighted. But before we go any further, I want to pray. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. We bless your name. We give you glory, honor, and praise. We thank you for being our keeper during such unknown and uncomfortable times, for keeping our minds intact, for keeping our hearts in safe places, for keeping our bodies intact when sickness tried to creep in and impede our progress, and for keeping us from the hand of the enemy that seeks to overtake us and use distractions to get us off course. God, we thank you for being a very present help in every area of our lives. As we dive deeper into your word, send constant reminders of who we truly are in you so that we can walk in the fullness of who you have called us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Are y'all ready? All right. Let's jump right on in. Now, we know that when the enemy attempts to overwhelm us with distractions, one of the enemy's assignments is to distract us from who we truly are in God, to distract us from our identity, to distract us from really embracing who God has called us to be, even to the degree of character assassination, even to the degree of causing you to question the word of God over your life, to cause us to question the word of God over our lives, to make us second guess what God has spoken to us, to make us feel like we're not qualified or to make us feel like we're not good enough to be all that God has called us to be and to make us feel like and and to really try to detour us from walking in the fullness of his grace and of his glory that is on our lives. So when we study the fall of Adam and Eve, we often examine it from the perspective of divine order, from the perspective of disobedience, from the perspective of sin, from the perspective of blame and finger pointing, etc., etc. But I want to present some food for thought or I want to present a thought-provoking perspective of the very first case of identity theft in the Bible. And we have a lot to unpack with this. So let's read Genesis 2 verses 21 through Genesis 3 through 5. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made, he fashioned, he formed into a woman. And he brought her and presented her to the man. Then Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed or embarrassed. 
Now we're into chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty, more subtle, and skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, which we call Satan, said to the woman, Now can it really be that God has said that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So here he is provoking them to question what God said. Right? And so the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree, which is in the middle of the garden. God said you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But then the serpent replies with this to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on that day that you eat, that your eyes will be open. That is, you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. So there the enemy is again, causing us to question, causing them to question what God has spoken, what God has commanded, the directions of God over their life. So let's pull over and park for a minute because I have some questions. And y'all know I'm always asking God questions of the text. Because God, we know that you instructed Adam. We know that. We know you gave him directions. You gave him explicit instructions. But what I want to know is, is how did Eve know not to eat of the fruit? Because between Genesis 2 and 15 through Genesis 3 and 7, it never explicitly stated or never explicitly said that Adam shared God's directions with Eve. There is no evidence of a conversation between them. There's no evidence of a conversation between the two. Now, I read these verses in six translations. And I didn't see not a one, not a one conversation. Did they have some type of pillow talk behind the scenes? Like... How did Eve know? How did she know that she wasn't supposed to eat of the fruit either? So this is what God ministered to me. And I pray that it blesses you. Now, when God took the rib of Adam to form woman, who later was called Eve, I want to know why does God specifically use a rib or specifically use Adam's rib? Now, he could have used any bone in Adam's body. God could have used the clavicle. He could have used a humerus. He could have used the femur. He could have used the pelvis bone, which is really the bone that's closest to the womb. But why the rib? And so throughout this study so far, we've seen how God has intentionally utilized scientific implications in the creation of Adam and Eve. So why did God use the rib? So if you go back and look at, in science, the functions of the ribs and what the rib is called to do or its functionality, the ribs protect they support and aid in respiration to help in breathing deeply and breathing effectively. And you know, we touched on breathing with the last broadcast. It also aids in uh, positive brain activity with the breathing. 
Okay, that's connected to what we talked about last time. Also, the rib, it protects the heart. It protects the lungs. It protects the upper body. And it provides structure and support for a person's internal organs. Now, remember last broadcast, we established the fact that when God breathed life, when he breathed the Ruach, the spirit into the nostrils of Adam, he became a living nephish comprised of his soulish realm and also his suke realm, which represents Adam's heart. It represents his affections, his desires, the seat of his feelings, his aversions. That's what the suke represented, which is on the inside of Adam as well. So when God created a suitable counterpart for Adam, he used the rib, which was a reflection and a representation of Adam's suke. Now, I want y'all to stay with me. It represented Adam's suke, that suitable counterpart, represent a covering of Adam's inner man, which represented what was on the inside of him. So when Adam woke up and from this deep sleep that God caused him to be in, he didn't immediately call her Eve. He called her woman, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. His woman was birthed from a part of who he was. And he recognized that. He recognized that she was an expression of the heart of who he was. He recognized that she was an expression of the essence of who he was. He recognized that she was an expression and a reflection of him from the inside out. Because that's how she came from the inside out. So a quick side note. Those who are called to walk in divine covenant with you and to walk in the holy places and divine spaces in your life will know you and are connected to you from the inside out. True anointed and appointed connection and covenant is a balance between soul and spirit between your nephish and your suke. That's why when you hook up with people who don't have your heart, when you hook up with people who don't have your mind, when you hook up with people who don't have a genuine interest in the totality of who you are, soul ties are formed. So it goes beyond sex, but soul ties are formed and they wear you out because it's only cultivated from a soulish realm. It's only cultivated from the nephish form of who you are and not your spirit man or not your spirit woman. Soul ties are one dimensional and they only feed your flesh. It has no depth. It has no sustainability. It has no real progression. There's no evidence of growth in your suitcase. And oftentimes, those ties diminish and they manipulate your psyche and your suke, where your heart is, where your affections are. It manipulates your mind. It manipulates your desires. 
Because that part of you, that suitcase part of you, is often viewed as the weaker part or the most vulnerable part of you, which is also why the enemy seeks to attack the vulnerable part of you and attack the suitcase part of you. Because that part of you is where the birthing of significant others come from, the birthing of spouses come from, the birthing of your family, close friends, where your mind is, where your anointing lies, anything that you hold near and dear to your heart, the things that you hold near and dear in your suitcase, that's where the enemy attacks. But I digress. So how did the woman, later known as Eve, how did she know? So just because Eve's physical presence had not manifested in the natural or the physical where the naked eye could see, doesn't mean that she didn't exist. When God speaks a word or ministers to you, there is a vibration in the atmosphere. Eve, or the woman, she existed in the spirit realm or in Adam's spirit. That's the place from which she was created. That's the place where she was pulled out from. That's the place where she was formed and fashioned from the bone and the rib. She was created from his spirit man, from the inside of him. So she had already existed inside of him before she manifested outside of him. So because she was manifested from the inside, from that rib, that functionality of that person that's created from the inside of you, from that Eve, from that woman, that functionality is to cover, is to protect, is to safeguard his psyche, is to safeguard Adam's psyche, is to safeguard the word that God spoke to Adam and to her because she was a part of him. She was a part of his spirit before she even manifested in the natural. So Eve knew what God had said by the spirit because she had already existed inside of Adam before she uh, became a natural form or a manifested form. So it's important. It's really important. Side note, to know the totality of who you are So you'll recognize the keeper of your secret things. So you'll recognize the keeper of weighty matters and heart matters. The one who is going to be a good steward over your heart is so important. It's so important so you can recognize that the one who God has called you to be joined with, the one who God has formed in your spirit is one who can respect and cultivate what's on the inside of you. The one you can lead and submit to without feeling the fear of being betrayed or questioning their loyalty. And the one who is going to hold you accountable to honoring the word that God has spoken over your life. Yes, that part right there. And okay, okay. So the last point to this brief relationship moment, that's what I'm going to call it because I wasn't planning to go here. But God knows. So 
who we choose is a reflection of what's in us and what's on the inside of us. They are an expression of what we carry. And this works in seasons. And we know we've been in seasons when we had all kind of hell in us, when we were rotten to our core. And we've had seasons when we finally grew up, when we finally got it, when we finally matured, and when we finally desired a relationship that reflected one that represented God. So we've all had these seasons in our lives, right? We've all had these. So don't feel bad. Don't feel slighted because we've all dated people or married people who were probably a good catch in that season. But when it ended, we were like, you know what? I don't know what in the world I was going through. I don't know what was going on with me when I selected them. I didn't know what I was thinking. And we've all had those reflection moments. But we have to understand that what we were going through in that time and what was on the inside of us caused us to choose them. Not that they were a bad person. We're not going to sit here and say that they were a bad person. We all have issues. But they just weren't a suitable fit for our life and the totality of who we are. And that's okay. We just move on from it. We grow from it. We learn from it. Or, you know, sometimes we choose people when we're in an undeveloped place. But once we come into that developmental part of who we are and we start developing and we start transforming, we make better choices. So we've all been there at some point of our lives. But we always get to that point when we desire more, when we want something meaningful, when we want something healthy, when we want something that brings out the best in us, when we want something that's delicious and nutritious with no guilt and no shame. We all get to that point. So don't feel bad about that. So I know that God has me going in in this direction for a reason. So just pray about it. Uh, Continue to consult the Lord concerning your relationships and your connections and your covenants. Continue to keep that before the Lord. Now let's keep tracking with Adam and Eve and how the enemy caused them to question what God said and the divine authority that God had commanded them to walk in. Now in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, it reads like this again from the Amplified Version. And when the woman said that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of it and she ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband and he ate it. Verse 7, then their eyes became open. That is, they became aware. And they knew that they were naked. And they began to cover themselves with fig leaves and made themselves covering. So the question becomes, how can you in one chapter of your life have dominion, have power, and authority in the next chapter You manage to disregard God's instruction. You disregard God's word. And now you find yourself in a place of shame. You find yourself in a place of condemnation. You find yourself in a place of bewilderment and confusion. 
that one distraction that Adam and the woman had, who was later called Eve, caused them to feel displaced, caused them to feel dejected, and caused them to be in a lost place. Now, God begins to question them in the midst of the fall. You know, he already knew the answers to his questions, but he still wants to know, how are you going to respond? In their response, they started pointing fingers. They started pointing fingers at each other. The woman is saying that the devil made me do it. Adam is pointing at Eve and saying she made me do it. And then with a prideful spirit, Adam sits there and tells God, now the woman you gave me convinced me to do this. So basically he's saying that if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. Right? Really? Really? But before I start laughing, um, I got to be honest for a moment. Because I don't blame Adam and Eve, who at that moment in time, they represented a model of humanity that had not been tested. So how is it that we can know that something is in us, but we don't know what to do with it? God can tell us and show us who we are, but it doesn't resonate until we go through some things, until we go through life, until we go through some experiences, until we have some challenges. So how is it that we can go through and squander 15 to 16 months of full opportunities to get closer to God and still not know who he is? And know who you truly are in him. How is it possible that we can read the word? We can shout over the word. We can preach and teach the word. We can pray the word. But not know who we are and where we belong in the word. And not experience the totality of the word. And not truly experience a true demonstration of God's word. How is that? Could perhaps distractions serve as reminders of who we are, as tools to perfect us? If we never have distractions, if we never have challenges, if we never have experiences, how are we supposed to be perfected? How are we supposed to grow? How are we supposed to evolve? Is it possible that Adam had not established true relationship with God? How is it that God can establish relationship with us and we don't make our relationship with him a priority? What I realized is Adam and Eve had to go through this fall so God could create the perfect opportunity to reconcile them back to him. To find the opportunity to perfect them. So when distractions come to make attempts to question our authority, to question our dominion, to challenge our identity in him, they become a part of the process of us being perfected. Have you ever looked at it like that? To be in a perfected process is to bring us to the point where we can be accomplished where we can be full, where we can be mature, where we can be developed, where we can be foolproof, F-O-O-L proof. 
where we can be in our ideal state and where we can be complete in his nature, in his kind, and have more Christ-like character and more of a godly nature. That's what it means to be perfected and to be in a perfected process. So Adam and Eve, really, they could not adequately handle the distraction with the serpent because they were already complete and perfected. At the moment of the fall, they were complete. No spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes, no past challenges, no prior experiences with distractions, nothing. They had no experience under their belt. They were already complete. But in our lives, the fall and when we fall, it represents, you have to see it like this, it represents direction and redirection to produce a better version of us that looks more like him. It's not just about getting back up from a fall or getting back up from the fall, but it's about moving forward towards a perfected place and a perfected version that looks more like the kingdom and looks more like Christ. So, in actuality, although their identity was taken from them in that moment, although their identity was stolen, there was a case of identity theft in that moment by the enemy. I'm not hating on Adam and Eve because they were part of a perfected process that God ordained and a perfected process by which God sent the second Adam which was Jesus to model for us how to better handle and navigate the tactics and the distractions of the enemy. Distractions are going to come. They are inevitable. We can't get away from them. But how we handle them is key. Our identity in God was established before we were birthed. But we have to understand that the enemy doesn't like who God has called us to be, and he doesn't like the authority that we're called to walk in any opportunity that he has to cause us to doubt that, to cause us to give up on it, to cause us to delay it, to cause us to question it, to cause us to cancel it. He's going to take that opportunity. He's on his job all the time. So we have to realize that. He's going to use those opportunities to get us to fall back and not be who God called us to be. Well, my time is up. It's up and I'm, I'm just I'm just getting started. But next time we're going to discuss the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who demonstrated a much better way to handle our distractions. That's our model. We don't want to fall back into the model of Adam and Eve where we're not in a perfected place or we're not willing to go through a perfected process. We're going to walk in who God has called us to be. And we're going to use the model and the blueprint of Jesus to help us navigate this thing so we can be in a place of maturity, so we can be in a place where we can handle distractions, where we can be able to see the enemy coming before he even uh, comes to our, our safe place, our consecrated places, 
our sacred places and spaces. Oh, we're going to get this thing right. We're going to get it right. And we're going to do it by the grace of God. But before I get out of here, I want to offer the gift of salvation or the gift of rededicating your life back to Christ. Romans 10 and 9 declares, if you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus said that I come that you might have life and that you have it more abundantly. If you made that decision to give your life back to Christ or to give your life to Christ for the first time, I am excited for you. I want to celebrate you. And I pray that God will continue to catapult you to higher heights, to deeper depths, and that he will equip you to handle every distraction that will come your way by the enemy to make you discount what God has already deposited on the inside of you, what God has already activated on the inside of you, what God has already ordained from the foundations of this world. You're going to be what God has called you to be. But know that it's not going to come without a fight. But I promise you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I got to go. I love you. I thank you. I appreciate you so much. And I look forward to our next discussion with part two of identity theft. We're going to talk about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So I love you. Have a blessed week and may the blessings of the Lord, may the favor of the Lord chase after you.